Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Hello, Melissa. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm great. We were just saying that it feels like this is, you know, you're sitting in class and it's like the last day before summer vacation and you're mm-hmm. looking at the clock and you can't wait because this is technically the last episode of season two. Isn't that wild? It's crazy. I know. Do you remember us like just talking about like, hey, wouldn't it be so cool if we did a deliverability podcast? I know. I have always just been so afraid. First of all, I'm sure everyone does, but I hate the sound of my voice. Cannot listen to these podcasts. Yeah, me too. So that was scary. And, you know, just in general, it's like, I don't know if I could do that. But (laughs) I'm really glad we have because I think it's been good. I think it's helped some people. Hopefully that's the goal. And I think it's been a good growing um, experience for you and I too, which is fun. Yeah. It's definitely pushed me outside my comfort zone because I, and also we've moved to like these videos too, which I yeah. was pretty against in the beginning. <laughs> and you're like, oh, we can do it. So it's, uh, it's been like a really good, yeah, learning experience and it's been fun. I think, I think I've said before, like every time we get done with a podcast episode, I'm usually in a good mood, even if I was like struggling before. So yeah, it's been fun. So true. And in case you're listening and you're like, what video are you talking about? Because I think there are still some people who listen to our podcast, but don't Mm -hmm. know that we have an Instagram account where we post videos twice a week. They are clips from the episodes, but in case you want to, you know, put a face to the voice. um, Or not, it's fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know if it'll be helpful, but yeah, if you're a visual person, then you can go to our Instagram. But I think probably the most helpful part for you, if you're listening, is that we summarize Mm -hmm. kind of like the key points of every episode and put them into these beautiful graphics that we don't create. But Holly from Black and White Studios creates, she's amazing. And um, anyways, that can kind of help you if you want to make sure and remember some of the things we hit on and Mm -hmm. you want it in a prettier picture. Yeah. Cool. Well, much like the way we ended last season, we're going to end this season with sort of a wrap-up episode and talk about the top four takeaways from season two. And I looked through our um, season one top four takeaways, and it was very interesting to think about the different themes in each season. So Mm -hmm. season one was all about like, what's deliverability? Just the basics, you know? How is domain reputation um, created or calculated? What's authentication? Like how are emails sent? All of those basic building blocks. And then in season two, we sort of graduated to a mixture of deliverability and also strategy, creator economy. Um, How do you build an audience? How do you deliver value to your audience consistently? So I think you're going to hear a lot about that in today's episode. I think this is the part I get really excited about. Like, I love the crossover between marketing and deliverability. And I feel like we got to talk a lot about that this season. And that was really fun. Yeah, I'm so glad that you love it so much. I think maybe, I don't know, I might live more on like the deliverability side Mm because that's just where I come from. But you have made me enjoy the more like strategic marketing side. So I'm glad we get to compliment each other. Yeah, that's nice. Cool. Well, let's um, hop right into it. 
And I think the number one takeaway from this season, because major news sort of happened this season, is that open rates, uh, it's time, if you haven't already, it's kind of time to give open rates the backseat and Mm -hmm. focus on other metrics instead, like clicks and purchases, for example. Yeah, I think this will be an interesting one to see how it plays out as this kind of rolls out. But I think that in general, it will be better for people to focus on those things anyways. Like even if nothing really changed with open rates, like open rates are a great metric. They can help with certain things. They can be important. But focusing on the clicks and the purchases are things you can control as a sender relatively speaking, with the way that you market. And with open rates, there are some factors there that, um, you know, we've talked about before that they're not always going to be as accurate. Um, Typically, when someone purchases something, it's a real person on the other side. And they're not usually doing it just for fun. They're doing it because they want to purchase something. And with, you know, opens, we've talked about before, like there are aspects of even clicks that can be not a real person, that non-human interaction. And so, yeah, I think that you you had some really good points last episode, I think, about purchases and how helpful those can be. So I think focusing on those things, especially as we move forward with um, the Apple announcement, will be just better overall for, for senders to focus on. Yeah. And it's so hard to say, as we're recording this, um, it's still the middle of June. When you hear this, it'll be in July. And, you know, things are developing constantly, but it's still like too soon to say what exactly this Apple announcement is going to do for open rates. I am in some Slack groups where multiple people are testing the new iOS. They have a beta version and they cannot replicate the um, activity that Apple says is going to happen. They'll send themselves emails. They won't open them and there won't be an open event. And then they will open some emails and they'll get opens for those, just like you would expect. So, you know, it's possible that we're all kind of freaking out and it's actually not going to happen. Or it's possible that, you know, it will happen and Mm -hmm. opens are going to be extremely inflated for a lot of people. So like you're saying, I think the best thing to do is just go ahead and decrease your focus on open rates because no matter what happens with Apple, this just proves that things are changing. Opens are not a perfect metric. They haven't been for a long time, but now they might become even more (laughs) imperfect and even more confusing. So this is a good time to go ahead and try and make that mental shift and get comfortable with sort of looking at other metrics more heavily, like actual activity that your subscribers are taking. Uh, Because at the end of the day, opens are great. Like, obviously, we want people to open our emails, but that shouldn't be the ultimate goal. There should be something after the open. Like, what do you really want people to do? I really want people to purchase. I don't care about open. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I think most people would say that. Buy my things. Yeah. Yeah. Like, (laughs) so track that. Um, And obviously, the open comes before the purchase. But if you get too focused on these open rates that first of all, probably aren't even accurate. It's just causing you to focus on things Mm -hmm. that don't matter as much. Try and think about driving purchases or downloads Mm -hmm. or clicks, whatever you're asking people to do. If you send an email and say, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, track how many subscribes you get that day, like after you send the email. Focus on your true end goal instead of open rates that are just going to likely become more and more unreliable. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we set a timeframe in the 
Apple episode, but um, September is when the new operating system is supposed to be released. So obviously it takes some time for everyone to actually update their devices and all these things. So I think it's good to just keep in mind the fall is when we're really supposed Mm -hmm. to see these big changes to open rates. And we'll have to just kind of wait and see what happens because people testing now on the beta version just are having a really hard time replicating this behavior that Apple says they're going to Mm -hmm. start doing. Well, and I mean, we work in an industry where we're seeing changes all the time with our app. And we know that sometimes things are unpredictable and code can make other things, you know, work differently. So yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And I guess we'll find out in the fall. Yep. Stay tuned. Um, So the second thing that we have talked about throughout this entire season is that quality and consistency are a recipe for success. Yes. I think this is one that, like I've said before, I'm even more of a believer in now, just over the last couple of years, like working with creators and listening to people's stories about how they became successful and consistency is huge. A lot of people, I think, struggle in the, which is totally understandable in the creative process when they're serving an audience, because those people are expecting like, a certain level of creativity and kind of like the new and the exciting and people want to be inspired. And that can be like a lot of pressure as a creator, um, especially with the technicalities of like email marketing and all these other, you know, social media platforms. So I think that just learning to be consistent and trying to be honest and produce quality is going to ultimately set you apart from others who maybe try to interact with their audience in a way that might not be as effective. Yeah. And as you're listening to this, if you are a creator or whatever you are working on, I think it could be helpful to imagine this on sort of an X, Y axis. And there is math teacher consistency. I know that's how (laughs) I visualize everything. And I'm sure someone smarter than me has already done this, but I imagine consistency on the x-axis, quality on the y-axis, and try to figure out where do you fall in that. That's a great point. Thanks. Are you showing up consistently? But honestly, the kind of things you're showing up with just are not the best quality. Maybe Mm -hmm. you're struggling to produce things at the quality you would like, but you are showing up maybe once a week or something where, Mm -hmm. you know, you got the consistency down. You got to focus on the quality. Or are you making some really high quality content. People love it, but you're so busy that you only do it like once every few months, maybe once Mm -hmm. a year. Honestly, if I had to fall anywhere in my own like desire to have a side hustle around deliverability, which I don't anymore, but it would have probably been in that area where it was like, oh yeah, I'll write a blog post about the promotions tab. And then I'm silent for a year. (laughs) So yeah, try and think of where you fall. And you know, obviously you want to be in the upper right where your quality is on point, your consistency is on point. And that right there, if you can hit that sweet spot, it's, I think it would be hard for you to not be successful. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's the other hard part about consistency is that you hear different stories from different creators about how long things took. Like some people saw success overnight because they had a blog post that went viral and they can't even keep like their website up because they have so much traffic that their website breaks. And like, I think a lot of people hope for that, but that's not like, the most common way to um, get more subscribers. And a lot of people, it took years. And 
there's not really a timeline of like, if you hit this certain amount of time that you've been consistent, you know, you'll kind of go to the other side and you'll have all these subscribers. Like I think everyone's audience is different. Traction takes a different amount of time per like creator and their, their niche or whatever. So I think that's the other hard thing. There's just no way to like quantify what the quality and the consistency like looks like as a number for each person. Cause it's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. I think if you do show up with consistent quality, you should see, I would assume your subscribers or maybe followers, whatever mm-hmm. metric it is you're looking at readers on your blog, it should be gradually going up over time. And I like that you mentioned, you know, like viral moments. I think that that does happen for some people, but if you have, like, if you hit the target with some amazing blog posts that people love and it gets media coverage or something and you get a huge boost in audience, you better show up consistently mm-hmm. from that point on or that audience will drop off just as fast as it came. Yeah. You have to then start providing really consistent, high quality that mm-hmm. kind of, you know, is on par with what hooked them in the first place. Right. So yeah, even if you do hit that lottery of having a viral moment that mm-hmm. has a huge boost in your audience, you can't just coast from there. You got to keep delivering consistently high quality content. Well, and that's why I think we wanted to focus on like the basics of deliverability before we dove into these topics was because, you know, looking at it from like a deliverability lens too, if you aren't prepared for that kind of growth, then there are so many aspects of your business that will suffer because you won't be ready for the kinds of things that you're going to have to deal with, like keeping your list clean, um, which is important for anyone. But like, I think that's a very common piece of advice for a lot of people who have their own business is to prepare for growth and expect that you have to pivot and adjust your expectations based on yeah, how things change. That's such a good point. There's definitely some senders I can already think of that I've worked with who ran into deliverability issues after having over a million subscribers on their list. Mm-hmm. And that is painful. If you think it's you know painful to go to the uh, spam folder in general, maybe with like a list of 10,000, it's even more painful when your messages start to go to the spam folder and you have over a million subscribers. And when you're at that point, like you have sponsorship deals mm-hmm. in your emails. These emails equal a lot of money, probably enough money to keep your entire business afloat. That's where you're hiring people, your payroll comes from. So when emails go to the spam folder, the consequences are huge at that level. So mm-hmm. understanding the basics of deliverability from the very start from your first subscriber is going to set you up for so much more success in the long run when you do have that huge audience you hopefully will not run into the issue where you're like, oh my gosh, can we pay our bills because all our messages are going to spam and no one will sponsor us or no one's clicking our links and buying things, all that good stuff. I think people say this a lot about athletes, like practice the good like habits now so that as you get better or as opportunities come up, um, you don't lose that part because those are like the foundations of what makes you a good anything. And so in this scenario, it's similar, like practice the good habits now for deliverability so that in the future, um, hopefully as your business grows, you don't have to learn the hard way. Like a lot of people sometimes do, unfortunately. And, you know, Alyssa and I always want to help those people when it does happen, but we always want to encourage people to not let those things happen because your life will be so much easier if you practice the good habits now. I love that. All of it's gold. And yeah, I would love for everyone to just like 
listen to our podcast and see our educational content and mm-hmm. to never have to actually talk to us unless it's, you know, just for fun. Or clarification, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But our goal is that, like, you never have to have a conversation with us about, you know, help this bad thing is happening. Mm-hmm. We want to get you covered before you can even get there proactively. So, right. All right. Third point we've talked about a lot over the season is kind of similar, but to send relationship building emails over purely promotional emails all the time. I think there are a lot of things that go into this that help your deliverability, but also just help your strategy in general. Definitely. And I, I think one that you've mentioned a lot, um, when it comes to this is encouraging replies. Uh, we've talked before about the like, do not reply emails <laughs> that people will use. And like those messages still go somewhere. It's not like they just get blocked or disappear. Like when people reply to a do not reply email, like the messages still have to go somewhere. As long as it's a valid email address. <laughs> right. As long as it's a valid email address. So it's almost like throwing away like a good opportunity to, and I'm not saying that, you know, a lot of senders use that tactic, but it, it happens sometimes. Oh, yeah. And it's unfortunate because, yeah, it's a great opportunity to talk with your... And not everyone has, uh, I guess, before I go down that road, not everyone has the time. Like when you have a really large list and you have tons of replies, like you might have to have help to reply to that many emails. And that's, you know, understandable. You can't do everything on your own um, at a certain point. But especially when you have a smaller list, I mean, we've said this so many times, like the size of your list doesn't necessarily matter if you have really engaged subscribers. So kind of back to the quality and consistency thing, use the opportunity of having a smaller list to ask for engagement with your subscribers, ask for replies. I've always said, like, ask them a question they can't not answer because people love to give their opinion. People love to uh, give their input. And I think a lot of senders would be surprised. Like I see a lot of emails in a lot of accounts every day. And I think that's one like aspect of email that a lot of people are actually missing the mark on. I think they forget to ask a question that really like intrigues their subscribers related to their content. And I think it would make a huge difference. Um, And it would really just like bring you closer to, to your audience. And you would probably find out a lot more about what your audience's needs are by asking questions and having conversations than just sending content on its own. Yes. So good. And, you know, on the like replying to the replies, I don't think you have to respond to every reply. I think Mm -hmm. there are so many different examples, but what I think is a good strategy is you don't have to reply to every reply, but reference the responses you got at some point. So, I'm pretty sure I've used this example like every single episode, but it's one that I just keep seeing in my inbox. So mm-hmm. Nathan Berry, our CEO, had an email recently and he said, I'm thinking about starting a paid newsletter. And, you know, here are the details. Let me know if you'd be interested. After he sent that email, he got a lot of replies, I think hundreds. So that helped him know, oh, I should do this. Right. He didn't respond to every single person, I'm sure. I haven't asked him, but I mean, there's no way. He's a busy guy. Yeah. But in the next email he sent, he said, wow, I got so many replies. Mm -hmm. I'm going to do it. I'm going to start this newsletter. And so that's all you need is like recognition that my reply isn't going, you know, it's not going into the thin air. So you could send one email and say, you know, for example, we could send an email and say, okay, here's all the details about this Apple open pixel thing. It seems like there are two camps of people. Mm -hmm. One camp is saying that opens don't matter. This is great, you know, 
Love it. Hate opens. This is great. And there's another camp saying, okay, opens are not perfect. We know this, but there are consequences here. It's going to change some things. And we could say, which camp do you fall in? Yep. And then get a bunch of replies. And then in the next podcast episode, we talk about it. We say, right. you know, here's the consensus of what we generally see. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that helps people know like, okay, you took my information. It was valuable to you. And it does feel like there's still a relationship there. It's like, oh, wow, they heard me. Yeah. I feel hurt. That's important. But we don't have to go reply to every single person. That's true. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know if we've said this yet. I'm sure you did. But it also helps your deliverability. Mm -hmm. So there are two perks here. And that's always the goal is that um, whatever you're doing is helpful for, you know, the algorithms and your deliverability Mm -hmm. and boosting your sender reputation. But it is good because it's good for your subscribers. And your subscribers are what determine your deliverability because the way they engage with your emails determines your reputation. So the end goal is that it's always good for the humans on the other side of the email. Right. I think that's the interesting thing about deliverability is that like, and I've been saying this too for a while, but you can't really like go wrong with deliver like good deliverability practices because if you have good deliverability practices and you have good marketing practices they will feed into each other and like you will do well. I think that's like the interesting thing about it because you can't really have one without the other. Inevitably, like if you are saying, oh, I really want to engage with my subscribers because I want to help my deliverability. That's also going to help your marketing because you are going to find out more about your subscribers and what like what their interests are. So I just think it's fun because you, whichever way you lean, like more deliverability or more marketing, like you're probably going to affect like one side or the other, depending on what you focus on, just based on the fact that they are constantly like intertwined in some way. So true. I feel like that's such a good way to look at it, that deliver the goal of deliverability is that people get what they want, like mm-hmm. subscribers get what they want. And so if any sender runs into a deliverability issue, it's essentially saying like, there's a disconnect here. You might not know where it's happening, but at some point down the line, people aren't getting what they want. And it might be, you know, that there are list bombing, you know, happening on your forms. So there are people getting your emails who never signed up. Like there's just, I mean, there's a million different rabbit holes we could go down from there. But a deliverability issue for a lot of different reasons is saying someone is not getting what they wanted. Uh, at least probably a large number of people are not getting what they want. So if you're caring about your subscribers, that's one point I want to talk about here is respecting your subscribers. If you view your subscribers as humans that you respect and you respect your relationship with them, then that's great for your deliverability and for your bottom line, for your, you know, your conversions and all the marketing stuff. I think a lot of people these days are really into the no like BS uh, marketing, which I gave an example last episode about um, a website that I was super excited about and an opt-in form that I really liked. And I liked it because it was straightforward and it was saying, here's what you're going to get. You're going to get this newsletter every two weeks on Friday. When you sign up, you can unsubscribe at any time if you don't like the information you're receiving. And they just made everything really easy. And I feel like in this day and age, there is a lot of like gimmicky marketing and it's hard. I mean, I get, this is a total side note, but I have noticed more recently that I have been less engaged in my Gmail inbox than I used to be. And I have been getting more spam in my inbox than before. And I don't know if that's just based on like, because my subscriber behavior has changed. And so I'm not 
clicking the emails I want and therefore like these other emails mm. are getting in somehow. Anyways, I just thought that was interesting. That is interesting. Yeah, isn't that so weird? I, I meant to bring this up the other day and I forgot until now, but that was a tangent. What was I saying before that? You were talking about the example you gave. Oh yeah, just the gimmicky marketing. Like I think that that's hard to sift through, like when there's so much of it. And so yeah. when you kind of, when you put your content out and it's very straightforward, I think a lot of people are scared of being boring. Mm. Um, a lot of senders are scared of being boring and scared of kind of just like not being different than other people. But sometimes if you if you get too creative, I don't, maybe too creative is not the right word, but too fancy or too- I know what you mean. Over the top with how you do things, it makes it confusing for people. Yeah. Which again, we've talked about in the last episode, but I just think that's something that kind of goes along with like the respecting your subscribers thing because- People just want honesty. Yeah, and simplicity. And simplicity, yeah. So it might be hard because you want to stand out. There's so much email in the world. There's so many creators. It's an exciting time because the the opportunities are totally limitless. Like anybody can create a website. Anyone can do anything they want really online. So it feels like it's overwhelming, I think. I mean, I would feel that way if I was a creator. And I even like you know, we've talked about our own side hustles. Like I've definitely had so many ideas and I always have that fear of, well, there's so many other people, but at the end of the day, like if you're creating valuable content and your subscribers are feeling respected and you have a clear call to action, I think you will stand out inevitably. Yeah. I love that. And it brings up something that we've talked about so much in this season that I forgot to take a note on, but it fits perfectly into this category of relationship building and that's authenticity. I think that is one of the most important things. And it goes into that fear you were talking about of like, you know, there's so many other people doing this. Like, how am I going to stand out? And I think for a lot of creators, they go into a state of kind of replicating what they see or what Mm -hmm. they think people want. And it is, I would say for me, and I think a lot of people, you can see through that so fast and it's so un- appealing. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> we're yes. both laughing, but I, yeah, it's something that's very obvious from the outside. Mm-hmm. And I think it's not obvious when you're the one doing it, Right. but it is so important to be authentic. If you're a boring person, like, honestly, I'm probably like a kind of boring person. I'm just, that's okay. Like <laughs> I would rather show up in my boring state, you know, but sharing valuable content than try and you know, come up with some personality that's not me. I know who I am and I'm not the, yeah. the funny one or the, no, I'm just kidding. I know. Yeah. Seriously though. It's like, I'm not the one that's like out here jumping out of airplanes and yeah. going to make a whole room of people laugh at, with my joke. Yeah. It's fine. If I try to be that person, it's not going to go well. Like everyone's going to see through it and no one's going to want to be involved with whatever I'm trying to do. Even if I am like providing some valuable content, mm-hmm. it's so unappealing that it's not going to work. Right. I totally agree. I've definitely seen it before and it's a little cringy. And I mean, sometimes I think you have to practice to get to figure out what your thing is. And sometimes you'll miss the mark. I don't think any creator is, well, nobody's perfect, especially creators. There's, you're not, I mean, nobody is. So you have to practice and you have to figure out what works. And, and I think that's the other thing too, like audiences change, like as you change as a person, your audience also will change. And I think that's why it's important to like be kind of plugged in to what your audience's like needs are when it comes to providing content, because I think it's really rare that 
over stages of life, like as both parties change, um, eventually there will be a disconnect. So yeah, I think that kind of just circles back to like the authenticity part of like being who you are, but like recognizing that things will change over time. Yes. Okay. I guess we can move on to the fourth one. I feel like I could talk about all this forever. I know. I know you could too. Yep. But the last thing we have mentioned in so many different episodes, so I want to call it out here, and I know maybe not every single person listening wants to do this, but I think it's an option that's available for anyone who is trying to, you know, like show up consistently with a lot of value, and that is to monetize your email list and to view it as, you know, an asset that can be monetized. Yeah, providing value, um, whether that's through like paid newsletter, an email course, an email series. Obviously, this concept isn't really new, but I definitely think paid subscription type plans, like those things are becoming more and more popular right now, especially I think COVID sort of like gave way to this again or like rebranded it differently. But paid newsletters are definitely like all the rage right now. And I think it's because it's very specific content that people really want to see. And yeah, I mean, it's a really good opportunity to niche down to a specific audience. And I think, I mean, I would assume that as a sender and a creator, like that would make your life easier too. like knowing exactly what people want and being able to create that content without kind of like that second guessing, like, is this really what people want to hear? Because when you have a paid newsletter, people are like, I really want to know more about this thing. Yes. I don't know if everyone's like this. I'm sure it's mostly just because I work in email and you probably do the same thing, but I think it's so interesting. I think paid newsletters are an area that's seeing so much growth and attention Mm -hmm. and like people are loving it, but also it's an aspect of, you know, the creator economy that I think a lot of creators are not utilizing that definitely could be. Like there are so many creators I follow that I love and they don't have a newsletter. And I think to myself, I'm like, if they would start a paid newsletter, I would pay. Like, mm-hmm. and I know so many people would. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think, I have so many examples, but a lot of people I follow on Instagram are like funny people because mm-hmm. that's that makes me happy. So I'm thinking of like, I don't know if you know Heather McMahon. Uh, oh my gosh. Okay. I'll send you okay. her Instagram later. <laughs> she's hilarious. I've seen her do, um, some standup, but she's just like an Instagram mm-hmm. funny person. She has a podcast and I listen to every episode, like so do thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And if she started an email, like, you know, newsletter, I think is a, maybe a word that has a certain like expectation tied to it. It obviously doesn't have to be news, right. but she had an email that she put out mm-hmm. once a week, once a month with just like extra, you know, stuff, content, stories. Like she's so funny, mm-hmm. I would pay even a few dollars a month. And if she got a few dollars a month from all of those people, she would be bringing in so much money. So true. So just one example, but. No, I, I love that example. I think about that with, um, I follow a lot of home design, home interior people on Instagram. Yeah. And I think that For me personally, I get really overwhelmed with just like, I love visuals, but sometimes I think that there's so much like between Pinterest and Instagram, specifically for like design that I have a hard time figuring out what I, what I like because there's so much. So like if someone, um, and, and there probably is someone out there that does something like this, but like if those people that I followed had some kind of breakdown where they like really went into detail about like a visual image and not just saying like, here's where you can buy everything. But like, this is the reason why I decorated this coffee table with this design or whatever. Like I, yeah, I would pay for that because 
that's something that would be super valuable to me. Like I have a I have a huge coffee table and it's totally empty. And for months I've been trying to figure out how to decorate it and it's driving me insane. And if somebody were to like break it down for me in a way that like I understood, I would totally pay for that. So I think there are a million examples out there and it would just take the right creator to sort of figure out, I guess not the right creator, anyone could do this, but like they would just need to figure out like what I just said about their audience that like was a pain point, which we've mentioned before in other episodes. Yes. Yeah. I'm already like, give me my money. Give me, give me my money. <laughs> take, take, take my money. My money. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Give me my money. Take my money. Because I also, I'm the same way. I follow tons of home design stuff and it's like, okay, I like that. That's pretty, but I'm not going to buy every single thing in that room and put it in my room. So how can I take that and, that idea. you know, apply it to my house And it's like what you're talking about. Like, how do you choose the lighting for a room? I wish someone would do that. I know. So I think, you know, and that's just us talking. I'm sure everyone listening has their own things, maybe sports or... If you're an interior designer, go and do that right now and then let us (laughs) know because I actually need help. You'll make like a good $20 a month just between us. Yeah, So exactly. keep going. But yeah, I think there is still so much room Mm -hmm. for paid newsletters. And I know some people are turning to like Patreon and other things, which is also great. I subscribe to a couple Patreons, but you can't beat email. I'll just Mm -hmm. say it like having emails go straight to your reader's inbox and meeting them wherever they are. So they don't have to log into a Patreon app and like watch your videos, I think is just a better way to reach people personally. So yeah. Owning your audience there. Yes, 100%. And um, one thing I wanted to talk about is just that, you know, obviously this is a deliverability podcast. So having paid subscribers is helpful for deliverability Mm -hmm. because a paying subscriber is an engaged subscriber. Yeah, I don't know about y'all, but if I'm paying $5, whatever a month to receive someone's email, you better believe I'm opening and engaging with every single email. So your subscribers, when it's a paid situation, have skin in the game, they're Mm -hmm. committed. And that's just awesome for you. You don't have to worry about people, you know, turning cold yeah. and having to re-engage them. Like, as long as you're, again, consistently providing high-value content, then those people are going to be locked in and engaged. The more I think about this design thing, the more annoyed I am that I don't, like, <laughs> I, so I'm like, you know, even when I go to, like, a blog, it could be for, like, fashion or um, interior design. Clearly those are the two things I am most interested in. And I just get so overwhelmed. Like, I don't know where to go. Like people will say like shop my Instagram and I go and I'm like, it's pages and pages of just like infographics with all these things. It's too much. And so, yeah, I would be so happy if someone would have something more targeted for someone like me. And, you know, I was even thinking like, yes, if I was paying $5 a month, like I definitely would be looking for that um, newsletter every month. But another thing, like if it was really specific and made sense, like in that newsletter and you had links to things I could buy, I almost think that like the chances of me buying something from a paid newsletter too, like I've never thought about it this way, but it would be higher. Like the chances of me buying something from a paid newsletter that was specifically targeted or like I hate the word targeted. I keep saying it Mm. specifically relevant to me. I would be more likely to purchase like, for example, the interior design thing. You know, you said, okay, here's how you uh, design a coffee table. And you're like, here's the coffee table book that I love. And here's a bunch of other example coffee table books. Like then it's, 
in my mind. I'm seeing it in the newsletter and I can understand how I would use it. Yes. And so I, I know this is probably you're sitting there thinking like, yeah, Melissa, that's how <laughs> that's how it all works. But I'm like sitting here like, oh my God, this is a great idea. No, it makes so much sense. I do this every episode. I'm like trying to come up with an analogy on the fly and then they're usually really bad. So <laughs> here's what I'm thinking. Uh, it might be bad, but I feel like it's sort of like if somebody showed up to you and was like, here is a recipe for the best chocolate chip cookies ever. Here are all the ingredients. Like you would look at that recipe. You'd imagine the cookies. You'd be like, oh my gosh, my mouth's watering. Buy, buy, buy. I'm buying those ingredients. But if you randomly just walk into a grocery store, the chances that you're just going to end up buying all those ingredients, I mean, probably not. It's all there. You could do it. I love that. Oh, thanks. Um, that was good. <laughs> Chocolate chip cookies are the way to my heart. So I know. Honestly, I have some. I'm about to go eat after this. They're my favorite. They're so good. So yeah, I think that's exactly what it's doing is a good paid newsletter that's solving problems mm-hmm. for you is sort of showing up at your doorstep in your inbox and saying, here's this problem you have. Here is exactly how to solve it. And here are the things you should purchase in order to solve it. And maybe the creator actually sells those items themselves or they have affiliate links. So you're just making money on top of money. It's like repurposing content that is otherwise just not as specific. Yeah. Which I think is just, it sounds like a silly, like easy thing to do, but it it really makes more sense for I, I would say like consumer behavior. Like I think it just helps people see what they want yeah, in an easy way. And this could be not just for paid newsletters, but also email courses and stuff too, which we've mentioned. But um, yeah, my mind is like racing with ideas now. This is always what happens to us when we start talking about <laughs> this. It's like, oh, yeah. I can't turn my brain off now. I know it's so good. It's, I feel like to wrap like that thought up, it feels like what you should do. And I think we've kind of hinted at this, but it's like, look at your business, your offerings, And instead of, you know, if we keep going with the home design thing, like a successful home interior design blogger could say, oh, wow, people love when I post photos of these beautifully designed spaces. I'm going to keep doing that. And like, you know, obviously they're making an income from just doing that. Mm -hmm. Like, here's this living room I designed. Here's this bathroom I just remodeled. But it's like, dig a layer deeper. Why? Why do people like to follow that? Why are people excited to see your bathroom remodel? It's because they want to do the same thing thing to their space. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, what's stopping them from doing that to their space? What's truly the root of that? And it's like, well, they don't know where to start. They don't know which power tools to buy. How do you even use it? Right. How do you design a coffee table? How, you know, all these, there are so many layers. There are so many layers. And I will say, not to continue to harp on this topic forever, (laughs) but I'm just thinking about this so much now. And like one thing that kind of drives me crazy as a subscriber is that I will go to like um, a fashion influencer or whatever's blog. And I feel like the blog is there for show, but really it's just about the affiliate links. And I'm all about buying things. Like I have no issue with people, you know, with affiliate links or anything like that. Yeah. But when you're, when you're not really providing any value in your blog post and it feels like you're just throwing content on a page to include affiliate links, it just doesn't mean as much. Whereas if you were sending an actual newsletter with content that I cared about and maybe talking, it's like what you're saying. There's a lot of layers. Like instead of saying, I went on this trip, here's all the stuff I wore. It's like, talk about right. why were the shoes comfortable? How far did you walk? Did you bike? I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I'm just thinking like <laughs> it definitely, you connect with your audience in a different way. Yes. I think what we're saying is like, there is a ceiling to just kind of showing up with your content that people like to consume, um, you know, for whatever reason Mm -hmm. and saying like, okay, people like this, I'm going to keep doing this and showing them this. 
But if you haven't already, dig a layer deeper. Yeah. So like, why is Melissa looking at a fashion blog? Well, because she doesn't know what to buy. Mm -hmm. She has no idea. Okay. I need a lot of help. Yeah, me too. (laughs) I honestly have no idea what to wear anymore. If a fashion blogger would dig into that, like, okay, people people like my outfits and maybe they are going to buy what I'm wearing, but why are they doing that? Like, why are they seeking yeah. this out? Because they don't know where to shop. They don't know what to do. Um, so how can you get at that? Like, make a guide to, like, right. what are the top 10 sustainable fashion yeah. stores right now? Or, I mean, again, we've, we've harped on this enough, but what we're saying is no matter what your business is, Keep digging. Ask yourself why. Why are people, why do people like what this? What we're saying is. there is, an underlying need that needs to be fulfilled for them? I, I completely agree. And I, what I was going to say as a joke, kind of, what we're saying is <laughs> if you have a business and you need help brainstorming, apparently Alyssa and I are really into this. So just reach out to us and tell us, hey, here's my business. And this is what um, I generally create for content and help me. And apparently Alyssa and I really enjoy talking about this. No, seriously, like, please. It would be so fun for us. I'm that kind of person where, like, I'll get coffee with a friend Mm -hmm. and they'll talk about what they're doing right now. Like, for example, my friend I'm going to see tomorrow, she's a teacher and she's an amazing teacher. She went, like, teacher of the year. She is insane. She's, like, she goes above and beyond. Her lesson plans are crazy. Like, she's just so talented. And I'm always, like, girl, we need you to start, like, selling those lesson plans. Mm -hmm. Tell teachers, like, how do you – like read these really intense books with kids and pull out their emotions and how they're like, there's just so much that she does. And I'm like, um, you could make a lot of money. (laughs) I know we're we're the idea generators. I don't necessarily want a side hustle right now. I think I admire those who have one, but I I would love to help people brainstorm. (laughs) Yeah. So, so uh, we have a form. Feel free to fill it out. Yeah. We're not asking for money or anything. No. We just love to do this. So convertkit.com slash deliverability has a contact form. If you want to be like, hey, what would you do? Uh, we'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> we might be wrong, but it'll be free. So yeah. <laughs> you can't blame us. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness. We can definitely help with deliverability, yeah. but you know, the business stuff we think we can help with. We can at least help generate ideas. Now, what you decide to do with those ideas is up to you, but I could make you a long <laughs> list of things that might help. True. Um, one thing I did want to touch on that we didn't really kind of touch on specifically when it comes to monetizing your email list, I think a lot of us, including myself, have a a desire or, you know, we want to just like start from day one, like let's monetize this list. Like don't have an audience yet, but let's start a paid newsletter. Mm -hmm. So I would recommend not doing that. So whenever we're talking about monetizing your list, really step one before you can monetize is providing free content for a while consistently and good content that's helping people again, consistently is a key there. And once you've done that and you've built up some following, it doesn't have to be thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Let's imagine you have 200 people, 200 followers. Yep. And they love your content. And then you decide to start a paid newsletter and maybe it's $20 a month. If you get, I'm trying to do math on the fly, you get 10 people that sign up, that's $200 a month. Yeah. And that's out of two. I mean, that's like a decent amount of people. And I think that this kind of is a good like tie-in to everything we've just talked about. Um, Because 
creating free content and con, you know, content that people can interact with without having to pay, like you can eventually repurpose that content. You can get, you can dig in deeper. You can peel back the layers as Alyssa said. Yeah. And you can use that content again. Like you don't have to be scared that you're going to give away something that you eventually want to use for paid because, I think that's one thing that people kind of underestimate. Like, it's not like you're tricking your audience or that you're doing it because you, like, you genuinely want to help people. And sometimes, like, you can only cover so much in a blog post or an Instagram post. So do what you can um, as far as, like, content creation for free content. And then if you want to repurpose that content later, you can do it in a way that is even more helpful. Yeah. And not to... um keep going with this example, but it's just fresh in my mind. So for, for taking Nathan Barry, for example, he has blog posts, he has a newsletter, he has a podcast that are all free and he's giving out tons of helpful information about how to earn money as a creator, how to, you know, be a better creator, how to have a newsletter. He has a podcast about newsletters. And then this paid newsletter is going above and beyond. It's talking about how to manage your money. Once Mm. you are like, I think he said the threshold is like uh, $200,000 and above creators. Like once you're at that level, mm-hmm. like how in the world do you keep going? How do you measure, uh, your success? How do you yeah. keep up with your finance? Like all this other stuff. And that's sort of like, that's like detailed above and beyond detailed. It is for a specific group of people. So anyways, you can think about things like that. Like there's so many different ways you can repackage and pivot your content so that maybe it isn't for the general audience. It typically would be, but it is for a specific group of people, um, that would benefit from a paid platform. And it's a mutual benefit. Like you're not forcing anyone to pay you. Um, it should provide them so much value that they want to pay you. Okay. Wow. I feel like I just talked a million miles an hour. We just get so excited. (laughs) We got so excited. (laughs) Design people hit me up. Yeah, seriously. All of that stuff you talked about, like I seriously would pay someone if they would do that. And if we would right here on the podcast, then surely there are hundreds or thousands of other people. Yeah, I totally agree. All righty. Well, I hope that this has helped you. I hope it's been a good season. We will be back for season three. Uh, Usually that happens in like a few months, but we do have a plan for some content for you between now and then. So expect to still see some podcast Mm -hmm. episodes get published with new content, but it's likely going to be more of an ask our deliverability team kind of conversation which I think will be a fun way to switch things up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we ask pretty much every episode, but if you have any deliverability questions or um, just like ideas about what you want to listen to next season, um, we've got some time and we will be planning for the next season. So we would love to hear anything that anyone has in mind. I mean, it could be anything. It could be more on the marketing side, more on the deliverability side, but it'd be so fun to just like hear from people and yeah, see what we can do to come up with some ideas for next season. Perfect. Thank you all for listening. This was such a fun season. If you don't already, follow us on Instagram, Deliverability Defined, so that way we can like keep up with each other and keep talking. Cool. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Deliverability Defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability, where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. 
We'll see you next week. 